Hello, I hope you enjoy this recording and consider that in accordance with the Buddhist tradition, my talks are offered entirely without charge and supported by donations only. Please feel invited to stop by dharmapunksnyc.com, that's spelled with an X, to check out a chapter from my book, Unsubscribe, which arrives November 2017. And thank you. I'm by no means anything remotely close to a morning person, so bear with me. Uh, what I'm going to try to do is take some of the ideas that I uh, expressed last night, which are just, uh, I'm not teaching the Dharma, I'm just teaching a Dharma. So, uh, continuing on from that, I said that uh, um, we, uh, from my perspective, we are all attachment-seeking missiles. We are all, uh, our species depends for its survival on connection. And that the way we connect uh, fundamentally in the first few years of life is through our emotions, not verbally, but through our emotional expressions. And that the degree to which our emotions are seen, understood, mirrored, creates a sense of security, and to the degree that uh, our emotions are not in formative experiences, not just in a family system, but also education systems, uh, with peer groups, to the degree that we emotionally feel rejected, abandoned, or unseen, we will develop what Winnicott called a false self, a set of behaviors uh, that will get us seen at all costs, and that these um, behaviors, sometimes they're overly compliant. We turn into caretakers perennially or people pleasers, and sometimes our uh, coping strategies, on the other hand, can be combative. We might be antisocial, we might be histrionic, and just uh, constantly... Uh, aggrandizing our emotional states to be seen and that creates a whole host of problems and then I moved on to say that with the arrival of thought we very often use inner chatter as a way to re repress our core emotional needs which are largely expressed through feelings not verbally and that to the degree that we become over-reliant on the super-egoic inner chatter or the sort of inner critic is the degree that we will become overly self-reliant, that we will start social withdrawal, that we will become uh, 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 in an ongoing way uh, real, uh, uh, we will not feel confident in expressing our core natural, spontaneous feelings and that this is, we see this on a cultural level with our over-reliance on texting and other forms of communication which have increasingly diminished the vulnerable, authentic, human, uh, emotional component 
of communication and we've become increasingly isolated from each other and that this is, from my perspective, a very left hemispheric uh, uh, result of being overbalanced and that finally I concluded last night by saying that it was my contention that a major role of mindfulness is to allow us to develop a kind of reparenting of ourselves, to create an inner awareness that is kind, accepting, compassionate, and loving, so that we begin to heal and give ourselves what's called the corrective emotional experience, where instead of immediately turning our emotions into inner chatter, trying to figure out how to achieve security through accumulation, accomplishment, career, uh, short-term pleasures, that we begin to once again return to, at least in a balanced way, trusting our feelings, trusting our emotions, expressing our emotions, and that if some of our emotions are stuck, uh, frozen at an earlier age, by doing this practice, our emotions, our feelings, our fears, our desires, will become increasingly, as they are expressed, will become, over time, more appropriate for an adult perspective. But we only can become more confident in our lives is if we first verbalize our fears, our sadness, our grief, our anger, and so forth. So that's uh, the, what I proposed last night, and I'm just going to continue. So, <clears throat> when there is uh, an environment where we feel that our uh, feelings, emotions, as expressed to others, are seen, acknowledged, and uh, mirrored, which means given a safe container where somebody empathetically expresses that they get how we feel, and they don't express it through language, they express it through facial expressions or a simply attentive, caring look, then we begin to feel confident in stating our needs. We become trusting of others, and we become trusting in ourselves. We don't stay stuck in uh, jobs which are just there to create a feeling of financial security at all costs. We become willing to take risks because the more we feel, and this is an important idea, what I would call uh, and has been called a secure base in ourselves. A secure base is a sense that um, there's some kindness, awareness, acceptance, a secure place to go. All children need that sense of a secure base, a place to go, to return to, where they will be accepted and loved there and protected and not criticized or shamed. When we have that sense of a secure base, and that's I'm copying the name of a famous book by the psychologist John Bowlby, who said that the core foundation of 
emotional health and well-being is having a sense of a secure base. When we have a secure base, we don't run from intimacy, nor do we doubt the, uh, that we will find uh, love and companionship and that our needs will be met in the world. To the degree that we don't have this feeling instituted early on of a secure base, and I had a secure base largely from my mother, but from my father I had the experience of trauma, <laughs> violence, and complete unreliable. So I have a mixture thereof. And I very often in my life, before I did tons of therapy, felt very secure with women and very insecure around certain types of macho, aggressive men. I would go into the kind of... I would repeat the same kind of battles that happened between me and my father, and it was... So I have elements of both. And that's not unusual for people to have completely different types of attachment based on one parent and another parent. So if we don't feel a secure base with a primary caregiver, we might wind up what's called anxious, which means we will not trust or in the reliability, yet we will still seek love and connection. But we'll start to do it by not stating our needs. We'll start to become reliant on certain, what we could call, uh, coping strategies to get love. For instance, we might, uh, instead of stating our needs clearly and expressing our emotions openly, we might uh, start hinting, keeping track, keeping score of you know how often we call and how often they call us back, how much time does it take for them to return a call. We might, instead of asking how someone feels, we might start trying to figure it out ourselves because... If we're anxious, we will expect rejection where we're most vulnerable in the world. We'll start to expect abandonment, and that will make us preoccupied. And we'll become around people at times very, what's called, hypervigilant. We'll uh, monitor the subtle facial expressions and try to figure out just by observing closely whether someone is suddenly going to become rejecting. And I very much had this with other men in much of my life. And it was only until I got the corrective experience of 10 years of Buddhist therapy with, amongst others, Chodo, uh, who was my therapist, uh, that I began to have the experience of being with another man and not having to monitor them and observe them closely and check if they were going to be accepting or if they were suddenly going to turn, like my father, into some kind of uh, violent, uh, uh, sort of hyper-macho, critical, rejecting figure. So... We can, without a secure base, wind up in an anxious relationship. And I certainly, due to those early childhood experiences, have in my life dealt with having an anxiety disorder that kicks up 
And then thankfully due to the uh, meditation practice which started in the 1980s and came to full fruition in 1995 when I got sober and really started a daily practice. And um, at that point, uh, it's been, I've been able to have a life where I can work in counseling, not just with women, but with men, and uh, be vulnerable, and not be hypervigilant, and not feel on edge, and not feel the need to constantly figure out, rather than simply ask, uh, and be open, and take in, and be compassionate and vulnerable. Another possibility, uh, if we don't have a sense of a secure base, is we might wind up with um, avoidant attachment, which is we will always believe that other people are uh, encroaching, uh, uh, enmeshing, overwhelming, uh, very often the child who feels that a caretaker doesn't give it enough space, enough room to explore, will feel uh, enveloped. And it will grow up to have in relationships, especially intimate relationships, a kind of one foot out the door all the time, always looking for a way out, always feeling that other people are trying to trap us, trying to lure us in. These when these uh, individuals were young, they felt a kind of, uh, were caught in a very um, painful dynamic with the caretaker. On the one hand, the child needs its mother or father desperately, but at the same time, if that parent doesn't create enough emotional space or if that parent's own emotions are so strong, say a parent has a personality disorder, say they're antisocial, or that they are uh, narcissistic, then the child is stuck with someone whose emotions are so incompatible with its own that it will begin to doubt um, in intimacy. And it will doubt the, that being vulnerable and needing other people has any um, uh, helpful role in life. And so these people are very often looking for a reason to end any, any you know, vulnerable relationship. They're always uh, trying to find a way out. Uh, they very often, when you meet them, will we'll talk about the one that got away, some mythical relationship that happened years and years ago where they got their needs met, but it was during high school, and ever then, ever since then, there's always been something wrong with their exes. They want too much, they're, uh, they're over-demanding, they didn't, uh, they weren't respectful or something. These people tend to be what's called hypovigilant, as opposed to being cued in and, um, uh, hyper-aware, fixated on the other, they will tune out at times and they will, they have a tendency to resort to anger uh, and to be uh, very critical of people in their lives. They very often 
tend to be overly self-reliant at all costs. Finally, there's a small category of uh, what I, what's called disorganized, where if there was early childhood abuse, um, a sudden disappearance of a caregiver or a caretaker was violent, then uh, the child will very often wind up with uh, such a lack of any sense of internal security, any lack of any sense of there being a safe place, that uh, the child will be prone in adult life to dissociate, to shut down, to refuse to take any responsibility for their actions, to disregard any uh, uh, rules. And if you look at the general population, 50% I hear is secure. I always doubt that. Actually, in the U.S., there's massive statistics. Uh, They've done 10,000 separate uh, adult attachment studies, and they find again and again that 57% of Americans are secure, and I'm not meeting any of them. I don't (laughs) Where are you? (laughs) Where did you go? (laughs) I mean, maybe it's just because people who seek spiritual counseling and roll into Buddhist centers are not coming in on a winning streak. But... uh, But so, uh, those uh, people uh, tend to have a very great faith in um, uh, relationships. They tend to uh, be very open. They tend to be very uh, involved with global concerns. Uh, They tend to be um, very trusting. They tend to have a very low incidence statistically of alcoholism or addiction. Secure, it's less than, I think, last I checked, like 3%. But on the other hand, if you look at disorganized addiction, then skyrockets to well above 80%. So we begin to see that addiction, as uh, many great psychologists like Flores proposes, is not genetic, but actually an attachment disorder, where the lack of a trust in others and a sense that other people can help us regulate our emotions creates a need to get rid of our emotions at all costs through food, drugs, alcohol, shopping, gambling, etc. So, it's not just about, and I would encourage you not to try to figure out what attachment style you, that would be a waste of a retreat. I just want to acknowledge the importance of a, a secure base. Certainly, a very also common result of not feeling a secure base is the sense that... Um, all human beings have what's called, uh, in Buddhism, chaitasikas, or what uh, psychologists call self-states. We all have different sub-personalities. And you know, I have, a, again, a personality that you see right here, right now, that uh, I rely on when I'm teaching, and it's a very different 
personality from when I'm uh, a substantially different personality from when I'm hanging out with friends or watching the only sports team that I can stand. My team is Arsenal soccer team. Thankfully, they're not playing right now. <laughs> um, when I'm out looking at uh, my, some of my favorite activities, going to museums, and then some of my least favorite, like going to the dentist. There's all these different sub-personalities that you would see. And to the degree that we are anxious or avoidant, we begin to what's called blend with our sub-personalities. We begin to become overly attached to the managers in us that uh, are critical, self-conscious, the ones that help us survive in difficult social situations, we become over-reliant on. We, become, we start to identify with that inner critic, which says, oh, why did you say that? Why aren't you being more funny? Why aren't you uh, being confident and relaxed? Why do you feel so this or that? To the degree that we blend with any sub-personality or chaitasika means that we don't have a secure base. A secure base is not any single sub-personality. It's simply a home in the mind that is aware of what's going on. It knows what state we're in. It doesn't blend with it. If we are in a secure base, we will feel calm, curious, patient, interested, but we will not be driven to get something, accumulate, accomplish. We will not care if at times uh, there is... We will not try to overly please other people. We will have a sense of hearing, taking in other point of view, but we will not take that to mean either that we're wrong or that they're wrong. And that we will have this secure sense of that at the end of the day, uh, all of our uh, sub-personalities are something that we can pick up and put down hold on to and then relax and let go of without being uh, overly reliant on any different or specific manager, such as the caregiver, the people pleaser, the keep the the hard worker, the the part of us that always wants other people to uh, like us or appreciate us. We will not become stuck because we will have that feeling inside that we deserve and um, there's nothing wrong with us, that we deserve love and kindness. And so the parts of us that develop to survive in the world, what's called our managers, will not be overly uh, important to us. One therapist, Richard Schwartz, who came up with IFS, who talks about these managers, says that the role of the secure base or the awareness that we're cultivating is to be like a conductor in the mind. Now, okay, I have to go into work. I have to be the diligent 
putting out all the fires, aware of all the issues. Now I'm going to leave work, I'm going to go home, and I'm not going to be the put out the fires, people pleaser, or I'm not going to be the caregiver. I'm now going to just be the person who relaxes, expresses their feelings to another, who enjoys, maybe indulges a little, but I'm not going to go too much into that either. And so the, the secure base, the kind of mindfulness we're developing, it's like a conductor in that it doesn't play any instrument, it doesn't speak, it simply observes, understands, it accepts, but it doesn't allow itself to be merged with any of our uh, sub-personalities. So, studies by Individuals that I personally revere, like Koa, Schaefer, Peggy Emerson, Alan Shore, Mary Main, Peter Fonagy, Diane Fosha, Sue Johnson, Dan Brown, these are all the big hitters in uh, attachment psychology, propose from studies, and there's been so many thousands, that there are qualities of a secure base that are pretty universal. And my, what I'm going to propose is that all of these qualities are very similar to the Buddha's Brahma-Viharas. So if we want to develop a secure base in ourselves, the Buddha proposed a very elegant solution with Brahma-Vihara practice. So I'm going to first tell you what the qualities of a secure base are, and then I'm going to tell you what the Brahma-Viharas are, and I hope that they sound somewhat similar. So in research... When we find a secure parent, mentor, therapist, romantic partner, sponsor, what we experience are these um, qualities. One, we will feel a, a relationship or a place where we are secure and protected, where the violence and turmoil of the outside world are at a slight remove where we feel a sense of security, a sense of being safe. A second quality is that we are valued and that value is sort of, could be seen as delighted in just for who we are, just what our emotions are, the kind of mother or father who takes delight in the child even when the child is you know, frustrated, sad, uh, you know, spitting up its food, throwing things. It's a parent that still has a sort of welcoming, accepting, kind um, uh, demeanor. So these first qualities of feeling secure and feeling valued and loved are almost identical to the Buddhist, uh, the Buddha's first Brahma-Vihara, which is metta. May all beings, may I and all beings feel happy and peaceful. May I accept myself as I am. So, uh, I would propose that you could use any phrases so long as the first phrase you use uh, denotes a sense of love, acceptance, and care, and promising yourself to keep yourself as secure 
and safe as you can. And to be valued. Now, a second set of qualities are we all seek a caregiver that will comfort and soothe us when we're distressed. The child very much needs a parent and when it's scared or sad or frustrated, will hold the child, will listen to the child, and will reassure the child and will soothe the child into a state of less agitation. So that having our suffering seen and cared about and soothed is almost, I would propose, identical to the Buddha's teaching of karuna, which is, may I care about my suffering and the suffering of others. Compassion, it's called, karuna. So we're all seeking some feeling of not only being seen and uh, loved and accepted, but also a sense that someone will be there that will be compassionate with us. It's the, not only the meta desire to see beings find peace, but when we see suffering in ourselves or others, wishing we could have some way to help end that suffering. The, another set of qualities, and if a secure base, is the feeling of being encouraged when we're exploring the world, of having someone who will be like a companion who will push us, who will uh, uh, applaud when we have successes, who will see our achievements and, uh, and encourage us further. And I would propose that this quality is almost, again, eerily similar to the Buddha's teachings of mudita, which is appreciating the happiness of oneself and others, appreciating the successes of oneself and others. And the language I often use is, may my happiness and the happiness of others continue. So... Um, it's, a, it's not being in competition with one, with others. It's a feeling that happiness doesn't come at the expense of others and that there's nothing, there's no hubris or excessive grandiosity or pride or egoic quality in simply appreciating our hard work, our successes, our joys, and the joys of others when we see them achieving something, not believe it comes at our expense. That there's no limit the happiness in the world. And finally, a very important uh, last quality that uh, psychologists talk about is a caregiver that after being protective and accepting, a caregiver who's comforting and soothing, and a caregiver who's encouraging and sort of stands in our corner and applauds and uh, is that that caregiver also not be smothering, enmeshing, over-controlling in our business all the time, that the caregiver knows when it's time to step back and allow us to fail and allow us to experience disappointment and won't always, knows the right balance, when to show up and be soothing or be encouraging and when it's important to give us space. <coughs> 
that's a very important part in the psychological growth and generally it happens around a year and a half and interestingly enough the fourth brahmahara is upeka which means knowing our limits knowing how much we can do not being overly caught up in caregiving compassion appreciation knowing when to step back not only with our own uh, knowing when it's we have to just experience some pain and that there's nothing we can do about it but also knowing with other people that we care about and love that we sometimes have to step back and not become overly involved in trying to save anyone because if we do we'll be all of our chance for happiness if we become completely uh, what they sometimes use the word codependent or overly involved that will make it impossible for us to have any peace of mind and all the first three Brahma Viharas will fall by the wayside. In the traditional Buddhist language the this quality of upekka or balance is verbalized in a very interesting phrase. The fifth daily reflection goes something along the lines of knowing that all beings and myself are of the nature to grow sick, to become old, to die, to be separated from the loved. I, uh, I, my only possession are the qualities of my actions. So at the end of the day, we know that there's only so much we can do, and that it's not about results at the end of the day. It's about just making sure that our actions, we feel good about them, but we know also when enough's enough, and we know when to let go. This fourth Brahma Vihara is what keeps us sane. Without it, we become completely enmeshed, over-involved, not only in the lives of others, but we become overly caught up in our own experience, our own frustrations, our own disappointments, and we don't know when to let go and simply experience sadness but not try to make any sense or not overly self-soothe or not overly, you know, try to push us along. We just feel and let go. I believe the Brahma Viharas are the best system there is to essentially uh, create a feeling of a secure base within. Because uh, if we try to use the phrases of psychologists, may I be seen, valued, emotionally understood via mirroring, that would be a little bit awkward. May I be encouraged via proper modeling, approvement, and twinship, as Kohat said, that would be a little awkward. So the simple phrases of uh, may I be happy and feel safe, may I care about my suffering and the suffering of others, may I appreciate or may my happiness continue, whatever phrases you want. And then finally, knowing all this, I understand that all I really own are the quality of my actions and that I am not in control. So, when we develop a secure base, 
there are certain things that will happen that are kind of markers of this subtle shift in life. And I'm going to quote from some of the work by Fosha and Fanaghi and Dan Brown. One, we'll have a secure sense of one's of our capabilities. We won't begin to doubt ourselves all the times. We won't have that imposter syndrome where we feel like a fraud, being always on the verge of being exposed in our jobs, in our artistry, in our creative life. We'll have a sense of, of confidence in our abilities. The second is that um, we will not be overly caught up or, or self-righteous in our perspectives. We'll be able to see that everything we experience is subjective and not true. And that's important. We'll be able to see when our reactions are shaped by past events. And that happens with me all the time, where I have uh, reactions to people that are uh, slightly defensive or self-righteous. And as we... uh, People in the therapeutic community say if it's uh, hysterical, it's historical. To the degree that there's uh, a strong repetition of any thought about someone else, it means that it's not just about that event, but it's actually uh, activated or triggered by past experiences. So if I get suddenly really disturbed uh, it would happen many times with my teacher Noah. <laughs> uh, going through teacher training, he would very often say things that I would become really uh, aghast, offended by, and I would feel this strong anger. And then I realized, well, this is not about Noah. This is about my relationship with my father and always feeling that any kind of uh, challenge from a man was not just encouraging or wanting to see me be happy, it was from a perspective my dad felt threatened by me, by my existence, by who I was. And so his challenges were belittling, were not encouraging like Noah's were. So there's that strong sense that our minds and everything we think is subjective, as mine definitely is, and that we are always prone to be Our reactions are not just about the people in our lives today, but are very often shaped by emotional wounds from the past. Three, our ability to see wider perspectives. We won't be overreactive when we hit a roadblock or a setback in life. We'll always be able to step back from that part of us that feels really beaten down or... uh, Uh, disappointed, we'll have that emotion, we'll honor it, but we'll also be able to have a perspective to also see, wow, I have all these people in my life, or I've accomplished all these things, or I have love, or I have these abilities that I can rely on. So it's a broader perspective. It's a right hemispheric open perspective, not a very focused mind that just gets completely caught up in frustrating turn of events. And then finally, 
the most important part is we will have a very continual ongoing sense of our interdependence with other people. We will never be drawn or driven by the idea, well, I'm just going to give up and I'm just going to be self-reliant and I'm just going to be the one who uh, has to make it work out. Because that secure base, when we develop it, always has some sense of confidence and faith that if we honor our emotions and our feelings, if we don't over-identify with any state, so honoring means we see it, we greet it, we allow it to arise and pass, but we don't believe any emotion is who I am. In doing that, we begin to believe that we can give that to other people and that if we persevere, we will receive it as well. So now what I'm going to do is lead us into a practice where we integrate the Brahma Viharas in such a way that hopefully we begin to develop this secure base. What's oh, not on? Oh. That's okay. I guess I'll turn it on now. I'm sorry. I did that whole talk without a microphone. Did you hear me? Okay. So I guess I have a voice that you can't escape from. I have an enmeshing voice. I have an engulfing voice. You're all going to become a void into it now because of I couldn't escape his voice. It's just everywhere. <laughs> All right. So, let's see if we can develop a bit of a secure base today. Closing the eyes. And just seeing if you can land in this moment. Landing in the body. One notable teacher summarizes the, uh, the meditative state as no place to go, nothing to do, no one to become. Essentially that means letting go of the sense of there being any future. Letting go of the sense that there's anything missing. There's nothing you're missing in this moment to cultivate the feelings and dispositions that can create a sense of well-being. There's nothing you need to get. There's nothing you've done wrong. There's nothing missing in you. You are complete, you have all that you need, and that 
anything that tells you otherwise is just one of those managers that have stayed too long, have become too bossy. And this is our time to understand and express some uh, gratitude, but to also say, I, I don't need to have that perspective. Right now, I have everything I need. There's nothing missing. There's nothing wrong with me. There's no part of me that is unlovable. There's nothing I need to conceal. There's nothing I need to hold down. There's nothing I should ever feel ashamed of. So let's take our three breaths again. Just take a nice full in-breath through your nose. And if you like, lift your shoulders up like you're trying to touch your ears, only if it feels right for you. Holding the shoulders up, and then as we breathe out through the mouth, drop your shoulders like they weigh a ton. And then, for the second in breath, pull in the belly while you breathe in through the nose, and take a nice full in breath, and hold it in, hold it in, and then as you breathe out through the mouth, Soften, nice, relaxed belly. And then for a third in-breath, squinch the toes, the calves, the buttocks, the fists, and especially the muscles in the face. Lock the jaw, squinch the mouth, the nose, the eyes. Squinch, ugly look, and then... Breathe out. So we'll just spend a few minutes in uh, settling mind state. And one way you can do that, if you like, is simply by experiencing the body breathing, not by visual or any general sense, but just actually feeling the energy of the breath, expanding the body with life and then the release of the exhalation and then finally the pause in between and uh, it's worth noting as uh, many teachers have noted that the one place where we're most likely to drift away is during the pause. 
So if anything, just allow the effort to relax on the in-breath and allow yourself to relax with the out-breath, but just as you begin to fully reach the end of the out-breath and move into that pause between the next in-breath, in that pause after you breathe out, see if you can focus your effort into staying present. So, for example, you might want to help that by thinking in as you breathe in, thinking out as you breathe out. And then you could think, relax, or alert, or aware, any word that suffices. Another approach is simply to Count one on the in-breath, two on the out, three on the pause between, four on the next in-breath, five on the out, six during the pause. Just keep counting until you lose track. And then just start over until you feel your mind's really settled. It's very important to only practice with the intention of developing patience and acceptance and kindness. So whenever you drift away, whether it's into a kind of sleepiness or distracted thought, don't add any judgment or criticism. It's very natural and just very kindly, like a very caring parent, lead your mind out of the woods back into the path. Don't ever use criticism or judgment or impatience, or at least try to make this time free from those dispositions. If you like, you can, as an alternative to the breath, just hear the sounds that are arriving. Don't visualize the bird that might make a bird sound or the ambient noises of doors shutting and opening the movements of the world just here. Everything passing like the mind is a room made up of screen doors and anything can pass through it without getting stuck. So just allowing, noting, hearing,
the sounds passing through the mind, but nothing can get caught up.
So at this point, I'd like you to bring to mind without any thinking or strategizing or planning, just bring to mind a time in your life when you were struggling and needed care and support but felt in some way overwhelmed that there was no one there to protect or turn to maybe a schoolyard maybe a time when we went to a camp in the summer and the kids were cruel the time when we may have left home and went off into the world either to college or to work time after a really painful separation the death of someone we relied on just a time when there was a real feeling of aloneness, lack of security, isolation and just see yourself See yourself as vulnerable, needing care, needing support, perhaps the world seeming cold and indifferent, but just whatever comes to mind, just see yourself at that age, at that time, or if you can't visualize that age specifically, just a sense of yourself. And just looking at yourself, see if you can Communicate, I care about you, I want you to feel safe, I want you to feel protected, I want you to feel safe, I want you to feel protected, I want you to know that I see you. See this child, see this part of ourselves so vulnerable, or this struggling adult. I see you. I want you to feel safe. peace with me. May you feel peaceful, may you feel safe.
And then another quality we can convey is I care about your struggles. I care about your difficulties, your fear, your anxiety, your suffering. I care. I care about you. We're developing a quality of love and compassion in our minds towards all of our experience without any limit, without any hesitation. I want you to be happy. I care about your suffering. I care about what you need. Now see yourself at a time when you experience some sense of joy and happiness. You felt you had achieved something, something you built or something you did was worthy of feeling pride and some esteem. But maybe there was also a sense of wishing you could share that joy with someone, that there would be someone there that would welcome and acknowledge your hard work and your success and your happiness. I want you to see that person who's worked so hard, developed so many skills, so many projects and things you've worked on, brought to some state of completion, or at least you've worked on it and you feel some sense of accomplishment. And I want you to, if you'd like, join me in acknowledging and wishing that happiness will continue. Acknowledging, appreciating our efforts, our successes. I appreciate all you do. I appreciate the times that you care about others. You diligently work to create something of value that you push yourself to 
develop new skills. I appreciate and encourage you. Know that I see these parts too. You're not alone, I see your hard work. Those times when I feel there's no one there to validate my efforts. This awareness is here. I appreciate you. And lastly, see a time when you feel confused, not knowing what is the right choice, the right decision to make. gentle reminder that all we really own are our intentions, that sometimes we don't have any control and that there is no right choice and that there is just not knowing and confusion and that doesn't mean we've done anything wrong. Just tell yourself all you need all that you need is just self-care, kindness, compassion, and just knowing when to let go. Let go trying to figure it out. Let go trying to be in control. Let go trying to solve everything. Just let go. It's time to relax. It's time to let life unfold as it will. You don't have to be on guard anymore. You don't have to be on point. Just let go. I don't need to figure it all out. Sometimes it's okay to let go and so long as I have this secure, accepting, appreciative, kind quality in me, 
and use that quality in me to connect with others, everything will be okay. So in a moment I'm going to suggest that we open our eyes, but when that time comes, I hope you'll, before you look around the room, just open your eyes enough to take in the ground in front of you and see if you can integrate sight, which is such a dominant sense port. See if you can integrate that with all of the internal experience that's present, whatever you're feeling, whether it's tired, happy, sad, bored, lonely, whatever you're feeling, it's okay. Just bring that feeling, that internal awareness with you as you open to the sensations of the world around you before you look around the room. So just as a final set of suggestions. Uh, continue with the mindfulness today, which means just being aware of the nonverbal part of your experience, the breath, the feeling states, the quality of attention, whether the mind feels spacious and open, or contracted, or distracted, or available. But also at times when you really connect with something deep and that needs care or that when you're struggling or when you feel any breakthrough, any moment of joy, whenever you encounter any strong emotional state, you'll know it because there'll be an aha if it's good or a sense of just frustration. Either way, there'll be suddenly a preponderance of thought, what the Buddha called papancha. And so when that happens, pull back, especially if there's any struggling, and then just start practicing some of these heart practices. I care about you. I care about your struggles. I see you. I want you to feel safe. I want you to feel seen. I appreciate your happiness and your efforts. And sometimes it's okay just to let go. It's okay. I don't have to be in control. I don't have to be the one who solves and figures it out. And just see if you can cultivate those qualities of a secure base in yourself towards your experience. And again, everything 
is just, I'm offering is just my perspectives, so feel free to disagree. Thank you for listening.